thought we'd got him. We got him into a nice house, and now he's gone back to the huts again. So we haven't got the drover out of him yet. <laughs> but it was great. I'm proud of you, connecting with people like that. And I know they love you over there. I want to speak uh, something uh, just Lord put on my heart. Just make your life count. Make your life count. I tell you something, you don't want to get to the end of your life and look back and say, what was that all about? That is a tragedy. We're made for something great. But the greatness isn't found just within ourselves. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, that God has put eternity in their hearts. In other words, it's not a person that's born on this earth that doesn't somehow realize or long for or have some consciousness that life does not cease at death, but there's an eternity, and somehow what I'm doing now will have an impact or have eternal consequences. And one of the problems in today's generation is living for now. God wants us to live for eternity. He wants our life to have eternity in mind. Of course, as you get a bit older, you tend to think about that a bit more, but when you're younger, don't tend to think about that. But at all ages, you know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12, uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth, that your days may be long and may go well with you. So God has put something in the heart of every one of us. We don't want to die insignificant, having made no contribution, no impact. Every one of us, deep within us, wants to know that our life counted for something. And we're not all going to be preachers that go around the world. In fact, God hasn't called us to do that. And if you're not called to do it and go doing it, you're really missing the plan of God for your life. And the way greatness comes to us is when we attach to someone great, the King of Kings, and when we attach to a great uh, purpose that he has in the earth. You find the people everywhere that are working hard, laboring, and at the end of it, it's all empty. Read Ecclesiastes. That's what it's like. It's empty unless you have connection to someone bigger than yourself and a cause bigger than yourself. That's why people who live for themselves usually end up in a psych unit. I want to share just a few things. Uh, I want us to have a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Last couple of verses in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to share several, just some several things that you can do that begins to shift what's happening in your life. So your life begins to actually start to count for something. Here's number one. Number one is purpose to make your life have eternal value. Purpose. You must make a decision. Your life will count for something. You must make a decision. I'm not going to go with the crowd. I'm going to live my life with something clear and focused that has eternal value. I'm going to make some choices on that. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? And look at this statement. You're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You have only one life to live, and what you do has eternal consequences. If you live your life without Jesus Christ, there is an eternal consequence, a life separated from Him in eternal agony and pain. But once you've given your life to Christ, it does not stop there. God wants us to understand He didn't just save you so you could go for heaven. He saved you so you could be connected to your life source and accomplish His purpose through you. But if you make a decision to receive Jesus and never follow it up and actually yield your life and begin to walk in what He has for you, you'll never ever fulfill the call of God in your life. You'll be frustrated, Christian. 
A lot of frustrated Christians around. Notice what it says here. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You need to know who you are. You see, I had to talk with Andy before he went over. And Andy was going to have to go and, and, uh, and uh, stand and, and, and meet some of the civic leaders in the city. He's going to go there and he's going to speak. He had an opportunity to meet with the mayor and the chief of police and some other important government officials. And so I said to him before he went, I said, you're going to have to think what you're going to say. I said, Andy, you need to know who you are. You're an ambassador coming from New Zealand. You're coming representing an apostolic church and an apostle. You're coming with something to help that city. So stand up with the civic leaders. You're a kingdom man representing another kingdom talking to earthly kingdom. And God has given you the opportunity so that you can actually bring something to them. So stretch out and bring a word of knowledge and pray and minister to them. But don't be intimidated and look up as though you're inferior to them. The spiritual kingdom of God rules over all kingdoms. God raises them up, puts them down. So therefore you come as an ambassador of something bigger. We need to know who we are. Notice what the Bible says, who you are. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. That means the Spirit of God is in you. The same Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. The same Spirit that anointed men to do battles. That anointed people to create and to write. That anointed men with great ideas and gave them inventions. That Spirit is in you. But if you don't know that Spirit's in you, that you are the temple of God, you'll misuse the temple. You'll do things and you'll say things and you'll think things that destroy life's purpose. You are the temple of God. That means God in you. The Bible says, as He is. What is He like now? He's a glorified Savior. He's King of kings. And the Bible says, as He is, so are we in this world. We are to represent Him in the world. See, most people, the moment they walk through the door... They don't realize or they switch off from God and begin to live their life. Actually, this is a total deception. God brings you and brings us together for inspiration, empowering, equipping, but then we go out and that's where we live our life for God. We are the temple. The nearest some people are going to get to God is when you talk to them. Think about that. We are to carry His life. We're designed to extend His kingdom in the earth. We're designed to bring what is in heaven into the earth. You're designed for that. So in heaven, there's a lot of love. God is a God of love. When you minister and release love, you are releasing something from heaven into the earth the earth needs. When you bring faith, when you have faith for some things, you are bringing out of the invisible world of the Spirit something into the natural world. Get out of this victim complex. Break out of that. It's a lie of the devil to stop you discovering and what God called you to do in making your life count. And a lot of people I find are stuck in a sort of a passive yielding to the world. We're going to see what that is and how it happens. I could feel it this morning. It's probably why God was speaking to me out of the word on it. So you notice what it says. You know who you are. Know who you are. You need to know who you are. Every day when you get up, look in the mirror. I'm a child of the living God. I'm the servant of God. I'm destined to rule over creation. I'm here to make a difference. You need to know who I am. See, the world won't say that. The world will put you down. Every little life will put you down. You've got to know who you are on the inside out of revelation from God, not from looking around and comparing with someone else. 
People look around. Oh, well, he's got a bigger car than me. I'm a poor person. No, you're not a poor person. Poor, poverty's nothing to do with what you've got. Okay, come on. Okay, then. So you notice it says then you're not your own. What does it mean when it says you're not your own? Well, two things. One is you were created by God and you were redeemed by God. He paid an expensive price for you. Now, what that means is this. It means you, you don't have the right to live an independent life. When I talked talk at Easter about sin, I think a lot of people got shocked. We were talking to uh, one of George's relatives. She said, why do they say in church that these people are sinners? They're nice people. They're not sinners. They're nice people. That's because she didn't have a concept of what sin is. Okay? So we think sin, oh, well, that's stealing and robbing and, and, and cheating and lying and drinking and getting drunk and doing all the bad stuff. No, sin is living your life without God and rejecting God and rejecting His ways of living out life, rejecting His design for you by saying, nope, I know better, I'll run it my way. You see, and that kind of attitude, that independence of God, stops us from accessing God's very best. You can't be independent of God and manifest His kingdom life. You cannot. The kingdom of darkness is characterized by independence. The kingdom of God is characterized by dependence on God, not on people. Dependence on God and His Word, not on people. And interdependence or working in relationships with people because people are the channel through which God develops our character. So we can be greater people and fulfill a greater destiny. Well, think about this. And this is what it says, you're not your own. So what does it mean then? It means actually that Jesus Christ entered into a transaction to buy me out of bondage. He did it because he loved me that I might choose because I've been impressed by such a great love that my life will belong to him. Although it's his right to demand it, he says, I want you to give it voluntarily. I want you to choose because I've loved you so much that you'll respond to that love. So you need a revelation of how much he loves you. You need a revelation of how much he loves you. So then you respond, you know. We love him because he loved us. And then we love him passionately. We want to please him. Notice what it says, glorify God with your body. That means to honor God, to make him glorious or to make God famous in your body and spirit. How do you make God famous? How do you God make God known in your body and your spirit? You make God famous and known when you begin to live according to the principles of his kingdom, the values of the kingdom, living out of the Sermon on the Mount, and living out of a relationship with God. That's how you make him famous. When you live like everyone else, you cause people to curse God. How many times have you heard people say, I'm not coming to church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I want to tell you a few things about the way people are treating me when I dealt with them. When I did business with them and they said they were Christians and I did business with them expecting one thing and I found they were worse than unsaved people. So if that's the God they serve, I don't want none of it. This is not the life that God called us to. He called us to make Him famous, not us famous. He called us to live a life that causes people to see very clearly you got something different and I like what you got and I want what you've got. 
It's good. I see love. I see joy. I see peace in the midst of trouble. I see you've got good attitudes. I see you've got right attitudes to authority. I see you've got good attitudes to love. I want, where did you get all this? How did you get all of this? All it's God. I've, I've welcomed his ways into my life, and they work. I'm blessed. I'm a blessed person. See, so to make God famous. So you're not here, and therefore glorify God. Now, of course, the thing is, we, we heard a most interesting statistics over in America. Uh, the preachers have been saying all the time, we just get more Christians saved and everything will change around you. And uh, so someone did a research, and they did a research, and they, they found out which, which city in, uh, in the United States, which two cities had the greatest number of born-again church-attending Christians. Good? Good idea. So they found it. One was Tulsa, Oklahoma. The other was Dallas and Texas. So they found out that the highest numbers of born-again believers... Christians attending church were in those cities. So then they asked the second question. Second question, what is the crime rate and the social situation like in those cities as a result of so many Christians living in there? And they found that in one of the cities, the divorce rate was the highest in the nation. Found in another that discrimination was the worst in the nation and, and theft and, uh, and uh, uh, theft of property and burglary was also the highest in the nation. So they come to the conclusion, having a heap of Christians out there isn't making any difference at all. And the reason is because the Christians, when they walk out of the church door, aren't living a kingdom life designed to expand the kingdom of God. They're still living for themselves. And when you live for yourself, you can never be fulfilled because we were never designed to live for ourselves. We're designed to live for something bigger than us. That's why when we become attached to God, we become attached to someone bigger. When we become attached to his purpose of world mission, of reaching the world and touching and changing and transforming communities, we become attached to something of eternal significance. And when we do that, our life takes on meaning. But if we're doing nothing and we're attached to nothing much and, and what we're attached to is very little, it has no meaning. And a lot of the church in New Zealand is happy to have a little group gathering in a corner in a sweet fellowship. This is a total abortion of God's plan for the church. It totally frustrates the Spirit of God. Because His mandate is to go, not to stay. His mandate is to go and make a difference. And the trouble is we shut down our Christian life, not understanding we have the power to change a community. We have within us the ability to alter the environment and the atmosphere, but unless we purposefully do it, we will have the same problems here that they have anywhere. That's why. Now get this. How many find in this church that when you come, you feel lifted up, there's an encouragement comes, you feel strengthened with hope and love? How many find that that happens when you come? Okay, good. Then let me ask you this. How come that our suicide rate in this area is the highest, in the, the second highest in the world? Per capita. Means we're not having any influence whatsoever in changing what's happening in the community. It's a challenge, isn't it? Challenge to do more than just come to church, but to actually make our life count. To make a difference. Wherever you are, that's your place to make a difference. Okay then, so notice in Romans 12 verse 1, let's look at Romans 12. Here's the second point then, position yourself for God to work through you. So it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, present your bodies, therefore, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
So the first thing we need to do is purpose in our life or count. Second thing we need to do is present ourselves to God. We need to actually make ourselves available to God to work through. Present yourself. It's an act of freely building and offering to God. To present yourself is a choice to make yourself available to God. You have to position yourself. Well, some work like this. They say, well, you know, when I've retired and when I've got enough money, then I'll, then I'll do something for the Lord. Probably you'll have a heart attack and you won't do it at all. It's a deception. You have only today. When you wake up in the morning, if you wake up in the morning, then you have tomorrow. And the next day, if you wake up, then you have that day. That's why you say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's another great day for me to do something. Well, this is all about having an attitude, having a faith in our... So it says, present your bodies. Notice what it says, your body. Present your body to God. Now, why does it say present your body a living sacrifice? Well, in the Old Testament, what they used to do was they would take something that was to be dedicated to God, a gift or a thank, for, a thank offering. It was a burnt offering. A burnt offering was an offering that said, God, I'm grateful to you. Eh? So God has done something for me. We're grateful to him. So when they offered the burnt offering, what they would do is they'd take the very best and they'd give it and they'd, the, the life would be slain. In other words, its life is laid down and then it is totally consumed on the altar. So what God is saying is something like this. Just like in the Old Testament, they took the very best and presented it out of gratitude to me, and it was totally consumed. He said this. This is what he's saying. I want you to make your life available. Your body means every bit of you. See, you don't just serve God in your spirit. Come to church, sing songs, and praise the Lord. No, wherever we are, God wants to be able to work through us. So he says, present your body a living sacrifice. God doesn't want you necessarily to go and lay your life down and be killed in some mission field, unless that sometimes that happens, but we hope it doesn't happen to us, you know. Being close to it a couple of times, but we hope it won't happen. But if it does happen, it's no problem. We'll just go and be in heaven and have a great reward, a martyr's reward, and a special crown for them too. So we're not worried about any of that kind of thing. But God's not interested in that. He wants you to live for Him. To live for Him means you let go trying to manage or run, or, or have ownership of your own life. You be, and what does that mean? Does that mean you don't do anything? You just pray and sit around? No, 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 no. It means whatever you put your hand to, if it's business, or in the home, or in the community, everything you put your hand to, God, I present my labor that you might lead me by your Spirit, just as Jesus was led, that you would help me to understand how to build according to your kingdom, so your kingdom life may come through. Think about that. Everywhere we go, we have different attitude. Copy the attitude of everyone. So present yourself. It starts off presenting yourself to God. And you present yourself to God in a number of ways. Number one, you actually come before Him in prayer. And you present yourself every aspect of your body. I take time each day to present every part of my body. Consciously think about what I'm presenting to Him. It's not some spiritual term. It's extremely practical. Present my thoughts. Take domination and dominion over negative thoughts and thoughts which would invade my mind, which would disturb or defile. Take dominion and pray that God would anoint me to have creative thoughts and big ideas. Take, present my eyes to the Lord. Two aspects of it. One, the eye gate, what I see and what I look at, that it might, there be a guard around what I see and look at. And two, that the eye, my eyes will be a channel for the life and the love and the, the virtue of God to flow. My ears that I might be of a guard about what I hear and listen to and come into agreement with, that I might be very sensitive to hear God's voice and act on it. 
the mouth, that I might speak words of life and words that build, words that tear down demonic powers, words that have power in them, that come out of hearing God, that my mouth might be a, a, a release of words to create, like God created with words. Every part of our life can be yielded that way. That's one way of presenting yourself to God. Now, what it does, it makes you conscious that your whole life is being operative to serve God and that you can be defiled in every one area of your life. So we've got to put a guard around it, present it, God, my life is set for you. So when I go out in that community, I'm not following the crowd. I'm not living with the crowd. I don't do the same things they do. I come out to show them there's a better way. Come out to tell them there's a better way. But the church has got to get much bolder in challenging the way that some people live their life. See, so he says, present your body living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is reasonable to do. It's not unreasonable to do this. Why is it not unreasonable? It's actually what it means is, in other words, it's saying, this is a smart thing to do with your life. Because God, you're designed to connect with God. You're designed to operate according to the principles of God's kingdom. It's a smart thing to do it. It's a foolish thing not to do it. That's why so many are frustrated because they, they want to hold on to part of their life thinking I can run it better than God. And of course, it doesn't, we're not designed. It doesn't run better at all. It runs worse. See, so we, we present ourselves to God pr personally in prayer. We present ourselves to God corporately. We become part of his body, the church. Christianity can never be lived alone. I'll tell you why it can't be lived alone. Because there's too little you can do on your own, but there's a heap we can do together. And God designed the church, a body, a family. First, it's designed as a hospital. So people come in, they're cared for, they're delivered, they're healed, they got up on their feet, they got going again. Then it's a family. You begin to get in. You begin to belong there. You put your roots down there. You take up some responsibilities there. And then it becomes an army. We go out and every one of us makes a difference somewhere on someone's life. That's the church. That's why we need to be part of something bigger. Because you're not made to live alone. You're not made to live inside the containment of your own wall, your own family, your own little thing. And many Christians have got drawn in with this whole thing. They center their whole life around their house and their family. Everything's about that. It is not about that. Children enter the home and leave the home. They're not permanent. Now we need to fulfill our responsibilities. We must be involved in something bigger than that. People who are only involved in that aren't big enough. You aren't big enough to open your heart to others who don't have a home that could come in. See, we need to open our hearts open our lives, expand our vision and capacity to see that we're called to make a difference. Don't wait till you got it all together. You'll never have it all together. You just don't have it all together. We stay in a place of dependency on God, being led by His Spirit and continually growing. So if you're continually growing, you've never got it all together. You're growing and learning, coming, increasing your capacity, growing. If you stop growing, you've died. Okay, so you work, so, and then of course, daily we need to make a, a decision. We'll make our life count in the community somewhere. If you're in an office, you can make a difference in an office. We have to teach you how to do it. But it's all about prayer and altering the atmosphere. Your work is your calling, your communities are calling. We're all called to be out there. Our lifestyle, our words, our attitudes, the things we carry around us, they all affect people. Now, listen, when you go out there, either it'll subdue you or you subdue it. It's how it is. Now, let me ask you this. Now, I want to just ask an honest question. How many of you sense the atmosphere in here this morning? Uh, how many feel we're doing well in subduing the atmosphere out there? Not too good. Actually, I'm doing great. It's you who is not doing too good. 
so you require pumping up because you haven't understood you have the power within you to change what's around you you have the power inside you did not the bible say that within you greater is he in you than he that in the world greater 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 that means whatever god brings into my life i got the power and ability to face it will it be painful yep will it be uncomfortable yep but I'm not, we're not one to run. We're one to go into the battle and say, we can make a difference. We're here and born for such a time and such a purpose. You've got to think that way. It's a mental attitude that translates into concrete actions. Today, Lord, it's a great day to serve you. Today, I make myself available to you. And so out of intimacy with God, we begin to become empowered. And then you've got to actually have a bit of an attitude. See, it's easy for depression to fall on you. It's easy for heaviness to fall on you. It's easy for apathy and indifference. But for people who are caught with a vision of achieving something, you don't find them depressed. People who are depressed are people who are wrapped up in their own world. Think about that. They just need to get out of their world and start to get out doing something for someone else. You see, you don't have to have a lot. You just got to have something and pray God will bring the right person into your life. You've got to be one step ahead of them to help them. And it's the lifestyle of helping. It's the lifestyle of contributing. It's the lifestyle of imparting that is the kingdom lifestyle that Jesus called us to. Didn't call us to be saved and hang on and go to heaven. Called us to be saved. Go out and disciple nations. Change the way people think and get them aligned so they follow the word of God because it'll bring life to them. What they're looking for is found in here. We got the answers. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Come on, we need to do something there. Then the second, the third thing we need to see is we need to perceive what is shaping our life then. We need to perceive what's shaping our life. What is shaping you? Television shaping you. You notice it says here, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. The word, the word world is the word cosmos. The values, lifestyle, attitudes, generally the atmosphere and values and lifestyle that this current generation carries. How many people have been around a long time, and uh, they've been a bit long in the tooth now, but you can remember when the standards were much different. And what, was, what we would have been shocked at years ago, now we just take as course of life. Now, some people around know about what I'm talking about. Why do we accept that? Why accept it as being normal? Oh, well, we've been conformed to the world to accept what is unacceptable to God and not to disagree with it. The reason we don't disagree with it because there's a culture out there called politically correct, which is a demon culture. It's actually, it's actually a demonic strategy to make you shut up and not speak up because when you speak up, they say you're, you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that and da-da-da-da. You've got to challenge that. It's like everything's tolerated except a Christian point of view. You notice the animosity that comes when you speak out about certain values? Husbands and wives, one husband, one wife, marriage, keeping, keeping loyal to one another, building a family, disciplining your children. Come on now. When you start to stand up for what's right, then what you find is there's a reaction in people. But challenge it. Don't be intimidated by it. It's time to challenge some of these things. Say, so well, let's follow your reasoning. If you think children should be left to, be, to do what they like, what will that produce in kids? Rebellion, out of control, 
nasty, miserable brats. That's what it'll produce. See? You don't have to teach a child to steal. You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. What you've got to do is teach them to be generous. And you have to teach them how to give. And you have to teach them how to respect. And you have to teach them things. You have to do something. And those are kingdom things. And people who do that produce good kids. That's why all the schools know, get this, all the schools know the kids that come from future kids. All of them do. They see a kid in there, they watch how they perform, they know they've come from future kids. Isn't that marvelous? So what are we doing right? Well, apparently, according to the government, not much. <laughs> Same government that allowed for these you know, homosexuals to be married. What would they know about what's right? What would they know about what works? They haven't got the book, they haven't got the kingdom values. They don't know what works. We know. But we've been intimidated and need to speak up a bit more about it. Come on now, you got some answers in here. Okay, so that was it says. So here's the thought I have here was this perceive what, what is shaping your life. It says, be not conformed. That word conform means don't let the world press you into a mold. You ever seen a chocolate mold? You get a mold, they got all the, and they're all the same, and you get the chocolate and you you gotta melt the chocolate. When you melt it, you put it in, then it all mold, they all come out identical. Now the, the Bible says, Don't let the world press you into its mold. In other words, don't let the world make you into the same kind of cookie that the person next to you is. Wants to make you into a cookie monster. God wants us to be different. Don't be shaped by the world. See what's shaping your thinking. You, you grow up in a diet of TV, you'll think adultery is normal. If you grow, the media and the TV and the, and, and the various things that you see, they all put out the same kind of message. And it's not a kingdom message, it's a different kind of message. So we've got to actually realize too much exposure to that will shape the way you and your children think. You send your children to school. Don't think they're going to learn godly values there. So you've got to find out what they're learning and what's pressuring them and what's pushing them and begin to do something different in your home to build a different lifestyle. And you can't do it on your own. You need to attach them to the body of Christ so they're influenced by others because you were never designed to do it on your own. It's a foolishness to think you can do it on your own. Certain times in teenagers' life when they need others around them, a peer group with a positive push towards God. When they need others in the body of Christ to speak in and encourage them and cheer them to go forward and believe they can make a difference. Come on, understand these things now. See, so you're called to subdue and conquer, not to be shaped by the world. Deuteronomy 7 verses 2 and 6. I'll get it right in a minute. Here we are. Just getting too excited. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 to 6. See, I knew I could get it. There we go. Instead of just babbling. It's like, so <laughs> ever seen that movie Bruce Almighty? <laughs> he got that guy babbling. I felt like the guy babbling. <laughs> Can't quite get it right. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 through to 6. God gives instructions to his people Israel as they come out of Egypt and they begin to go in to possess the land. And what he said is, when you go into that land, there are idols, there are things there that defile people's lives. He says, do not come into agreement on them, don't have mercy on them, but rather tear them down and destroy them and conquer the land and subdue it and bring it under so the kingdom of heaven manifests in the land. 
Because right now in that land, there's homosexuality, there's bestiality, there's all kinds of abusive children, there's breakups of marriages and stuff like that. He said, you go in and subdue that. The world says Christians can't do that. You can't be in business, you can't be in politics, you can't be anywhere. Shut up, stay in church and sing your songs. And I tell you, God's saying to his church, that's not how it will be. The church of Jesus Christ can never be shut up. And it won't go to sleep, and it won't just die. In fact, where it's persecuted the most, it flourishes the most. But God is wanting the church to rise. You have a land to conquer. It's found in your own life and your relationships. It's found where you influence. That's your promised land to conquer. God needs to show you what he's called you to accomplish in the community. He needs to put a dream and an idea. You've got to listen to him. God spoke to them and said, this is your land. This is your land. This is your land. This is your land. He gave it specifically to them. God will give specifically what he wants you to do. You've got to listen to him. And then he says, arise, subdue it, and bring it into order so my life can be there. That means you have to contend with giants. You have to contend in battle. That means it won't be easy. So God says you do it little by little. Now what the church says, we'll just wait and pray for God to do a big thing. God's saying, give me a break. He's saying, I've already told you. I will drive them out, but you'll do it little by little because I'll work with you. And when God, when the people of God believed him, when they believed him, when they believed him, it says, oh, it's too hard, it's too bad out there, it's awful, I don't want to shelter my everything. When people thought that way, they retreated, never got anything. They failed and fell in the wilderness, never, never actually changed the land, changed the city, changed their neighborhood, changed their workplace. They never did it. Because saying there's another people rising up. Little by little, they have a vision to do it. And they have to challenge giants. Maybe there's a giant in your office. Maybe there's a giant in your life. All giants do the same thing. They stand and shout and intimidate so you won't try anything, you back off. But there's never a record of any giant anywhere killing a man of God or even hurting him. But there is a record where a man of God said to a giant, I come against you in the name of the Lord. Today, do you know what a migraine is? No, I don't know what a migraine. Well, you're about to have the worst migraine of your life. David took a slingshot and fired a stone. And Goliath, who'd been roaring and intimidated everyone for 40 days, suddenly had a migraine. It was a splitting migraine. He fell over onto the ground and passed out. When he woke up, his head was separated from his body. Hanging on a pole of a tent somewhere. That's giants. God leaves giants for you to deal with. Ministry at the altar is okay, but what's better is if you conquer your giants. Ministry at the altar is okay because there's someone else's anointing helps you get free, but you've still got to go out there tomorrow, stand up and face that giant, defeat it yourself. With the Word and the Spirit of God. That's who we are. Young people need to get that mentality. No matter how hard it looks, you're there to change it. You got what it takes. You just need to know it. Devil keeps putting you down, saying you're nothing. You this, you're a reject. Oh, look at your background, it's so bad. Listen, look who you are. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? See, you know what the world says. You what God says. And as soon as you agree with it and start to act on it, God works on your behalf. When they entered the land, guess what? When they entered the land to subdue the enemies, 
Once they'd made the decision, they were going to make their life count. Make their life count. You know what? God sent hornets after the enemy. Did you realize, have you read that in the Bible? Don't anyone know what a hornet is? You know what a bee is? They sting once and it's over. At least the bee dies. I feel very happy about that. Wasps I hate because wasps can sting you a couple of times and fly away and they can sting again. I don't like that at all. I have an aversion to them. I feel a necessity to conquer them whenever I see them. <laughs> We've got somebody brought home from Indonesia. It's, a, it's an electric fly swat. And you push the button, it charges it up, and there's this bang. Conquered another one. Ooh. Great victory. But you see what God did was in a hornet. Hornets can, they don't just sting. They sting and they run like a sewing machine. And the Bible tells us that when the people of God made a decision that they would pursue a life that counts, that they would pursue their destiny, they go out and make a difference, God began to send hornets against their enemy. Now, it doesn't matter how big a giant you are, if you've got some hornets under your helmet, you're in big trouble. <laughs> big trouble. You know, it doesn't matter what's around you, you forget about everything that's around you. Are you one like that when a bee or a wasp comes around? Some people are like that. I know one or two. Anyway, God stood with them. I'll have to finish up now. I'll run out of time. So let me just finish with the last uh, one more. I'll just touch on two more points, and then you can take it and work on it yourself. We're not called to be comfortable. We're called to conquer. We're not called to compromise. We're called to confront. But you've got to learn how to do it in a good spirit. There's a way to stand up on the inside and be bold about what you're saying. People just start to, oh, is that right? See, so it's the, the, the next thing is, notice it says, be not conformed, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants us to passionately embrace his word and his values. He wants to be passionate about his word. Don't be conformed, be transformed, be morphed. I love these new movies now, they can morph people. I love it. So you see these things, they're creatures, and they suddenly turn, they become something else. Whoa, how'd they do that? Have you ever seen, if you want a tame version of it, look at a demonic butterfly and you see the caterpillar and then you see the chrysalis and then the beautiful butterfly. Some of the older people would like that one. But the young ones, like, oh, I like this thing that morphs. It's there and it looks real and it suddenly turns into a huge monster. That's morphing, you know. And you can do that with some of these computer programs. And, uh, but the Bible says there's something better than that that's called the Word of God. Be not conformed or morphed into the, be shaped and pressured to become something you're not supposed to be, but rather, this is what it says to do, this is what it says, be totally morphed and changed into what God called you to be by renewing your mind, renovating. Now, if you, now Brian's done some renovating. First thing about renovating, uh, Steve's done some too, Mercy Renovators, man's a great group. You know what, they can, what he loves to do? It costs me to do this, but he loves to come in and gut the whole room. It's a good word, gut the whole room, he says. I can fix this room up, but we've got to gut the whole room first. Boy, gutted our kitchen out. Man, there were holes in the walls. Everything was taken out. The old, everything was gutted. It was just an empty shell. It looked horrible. We went away. I couldn't stand living there. Then I come back, and he totally transformed it, morphed it. Now it's beautiful. I love being in it. And the Bible says that's what God wants to do in their life, but it does as the Word of God, as we begin to embrace God's Word and meditate on God's Word and begin to confess God's Word and act as though it's going to come to pass. Then we start to see things change and happen in our lives. You and I need that. We need that. We need that. 
Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed so you can prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. What that means essentially is that you pursue the advancement of the kingdom. See, it's the good will of God for have healing in people's lives. You've got to pursue it though. It's a, good will, it's a good will of God and the perfect will of God that there be deliverance in people's life, that there be prosperity, that be love, that be healing in marriages. But you've got to pursue it. You've got to pursue it. Don't think there's three wills of God, a good one and an acceptable one, a perfect one. There's only one will of God and it's good and perfect and acceptable. One will of God. You're either in it or out of it. And the word of God will show you how to get in it. And when you get in it and start to embrace it, welcome it, start to say, my life's going to be lined up according to something that lasts for eternity, not something that passes away. Then your life begins to start to count. Father, we thank you. We are called to a kingdom which cannot be moved, a kingdom which will never pass away, a kingdom which your word says will fill all the earth. My God, we don't see it now, but we see the beginnings that your church is stirring and beginning to arise. Lord, increase vision and faith in every believer here, that we might begin to subdue the things that have defied us, begin to have clear vision for how each of our lives to individually and corporately can have impact. Lord, I pray for a powerful anointing of faith to begin to be stirred in the midst of the church. Faith to believe God, that all things are possible to him that believe. That with God, nothing is impossible. We thank you there is nothing impossible. Our city could change. Two cities could change. Our work could change. Our school could change. Nothing is impossible to him that believes. My God, let a spirit of faith enter in where there's been depression. Let a spirit of faith come in where there's been unbelief. Let a spirit of faith come in where people have laid down and become victims. My God, let the church of Jesus Christ arise and advance in Hawke's Bay in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen? Can we stand and give Jesus a great clap? Come on, let's give him a great clap. Come on, let's give Jesus a great clap. It's only him today.